Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we are continuing to record this podcast remotely for the safety of our guests and our team. So, on with the show. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is a man of many talents, a writer, comedian, actor, producer and presenter He's become something of a television stalwart, having worked his way from Essex as a schoolboy via Wales to the footlights of Cambridge, where he eventually found his people, amongst them Clive Anderson and Rory McGrath. Via his Cambridge connections, he became friends with performers from Oxford, including Rowan Atkinson. And at the Edinburgh Festival, one of them pointed out to him a man called Mel Smith, a comedian who was propping up the bar there. Together, they went on to form one of the most celebrated partnerships in British comedy history. And by 1985, were so famous, they introduced Queen at Live Aid. Way smarter than the average comedians, they set up their own production company called Talkback, which they later sold for a staggering £62 million. Away from work, he's been successfully married to Joe for over 30 years, and they have two grown-up children, George and Catherine, and split their time between homes in London and Suffolk. 
Despite Mel's death at the age of just 60 in 2013, he continues to work, clocking up Olivier Awards for his theatre work, making fascinating travelogues, and having presented shows like Restoration, has become something of a hero when it comes to saving historic buildings. Now, a few weeks ago, I received an email from him which read as follows. Hi, I'm on the scrounge, literally. I've helped set up a charity auction website to sell off celebrity junk. Now, I don't know about you, but I started clearing out cupboards during lockdown and ended up with things that are too good to throw away, but are cluttering up space. Where do we put them? Too memorable to junk, too valuable to take to the dump. Now, it's been a really difficult year for some of the people I support, especially the East Anglian Children's Hospice. So I'm putting some stuff in and need people to help me to get a really worthwhile auction site going. I can be your eBay with proceeds going to charity. Old scripts, new scripts, set lists, costumes, instruments, gifts, invitations, cuddly toys, posters, drum sets, sunglasses, first drafts, books, Christmas cards, whatever it is, but particularly personal stuff. We have a van, we have labels, we have boxes and we can deliver. So one of my donations to this rather brilliant cause is an episode of White Wine Question Time to highlight the haul that this letter has unearthed from the likes of David Tennant, Kathy Burke, Pink Floyd, Anton Deck, Davina McCall, Nigella Lawson. I could go on. It's brilliant. And he's done it all because, well, he can't just sit back and watch others go without when he knows he's got the potential in him to kind of make something happen. It's one of the reasons he still remains at 66 years of age, one of our all-time favourites. So let's dial him up. It's Griff Rhys-Jones, OBE. First and foremost, Griff, thank you so much um, for talking to me today. I wanted to hear more about Celebrity Bottom Draw. I don't know where to start here. Let me tell you a little bit, little bit about each because um, I live in East Anglia some of the time and... Uh, so there, I've been involved in a number of hospices there because my father died in a hospice and so on. And that I got approached by each, which is the East Anglian Children's Hospice. And about a few years ago now, five years ago now, I started doing shows for them. So I did a lot of shows. And then we, uh, then I thought, well, the sort of shows I'm doing are all right, but they're not raising much money. So last year we did a big show at the Regent, which was great. Me, Mac, and Al Murray, and various people turned up, and we had a big hit. Um, what I mean is, we had a, um, the show was a hit, but we we had a big hit of cash coming in off that one. And you know, benefits are interesting because uh, I did, you know, I raised a lot of money for Bank the Empire over the years, and I. I know that a benefit actually doesn't really make an enormous difference to the demands that a hospice uh, has, but what it does is it raises awareness. So all of, we had a lot of publicity. And so uh, this year they came to me and said, what are we going to do? You know, because uh, what people don't really realise is something like the, the hospice, which is an amazing uh, institution, really amazing. I mean, I can only say this. My mother is very old. Was one, you know, they said, her doctor said, oh, this is a bit, uh, my mother won't listen to this, I should imagine. And she said, and they said, oh, your mum's going into the hospice. And of course, you have to go to your mum and say, Dr. McNabb has said, that's it. You know, you're going to the hospice. So we took her there and uh, she was going there just on a sort of weekly basis. And she couldn't get enough of it. She loved it there. Did she? Oh, my goodness. Uh, hospice. It's not about end-of-life care. It's about making the most of the time that you have. And a children's hospice, I've been there many times, is unbelievably moving place because they do, they don't, they're not there to, 
as it were, sort of prepare people for um, death. They're there to say, this is your time. This is the life you have. This You've got to make the most of it. And as a result, what, what's really difficult is I've been very fortunate, you know, in my life. And um, I've, you know, I've had two uh, strong, healthy kids. But sometimes people are um, not so fortunate and fate intervenes. And with modern medicine, um, people can, uh, children, can live quite supported and uh, important lives. But sometimes they need incredible levels of care. And I've met uh, mums who uh, need to be with their children um, every couple of hours. And um, that's to, to support people in, in, in with, with very difficult illnesses right through the night, every night, all their life. And what you, we can't really, it, what, what struck me and is very, very difficult to understand is they, these are people who had ambitions of their own, who had a life and wanted mm. to do their life of their own. Their life has completely and utterly changed because of the love they had for their child. And mm. what the hospice does, at a simple level, for example, says we can look after your child for a weekend. And I've met parents who've said to me things like, do you know, this is the first weekend that we've had together as a couple, not getting up every two hours in the middle of the night, one or other of us, for 15 years. And it's an extra, I mean, wow. an unbelievable thing that they do, the hospice. But the other unbelievable thing is that only 10% of the money that it takes to, to run this service comes from the government. The rest has to be raised. They have several centres around uh, East Anglia, and the rest has to be raised from the people of East Anglia who do it. I mean, it's a staggering amount of money that they need. One of the most amazing things in, this, in the treehouse is a room which is a mortuary. And it's simply their own mortuary because it means that when a child dies, finally, and is in the hospice and dies, the parents can go and sit with their child um, after death for a while because they've been often so emotionally tied to that child for so long that they can't you know, bear to let go. And normally in a hospital, oh. the child is, you know, that's it. But they have a special sort of room where people can sit. Um, I, it's an unbelievably important sort of moving service, you know. And, of course, we, as, you know, we're celebrities. <sighs> people, we get involved all the time in charities. But this is a charity which one-to-one um, -one makes an incredible difference to people's lives. And that's something that, you know, that you feel that you ought to support because it's not a remote thing, you know, it's an absolute, it's the absolute definition of what charity is, which is not, oh, the government should do something about this or we should, you know, we should be putting money. It's like we need to help people. We really need to go forward because their courage, their struggle, their, you know, their bravery and their determination is such an extraordinary thing to witness. You know, in this world in which we live in, it could happen to any of us. You know, could happen to a sister or brother or child. You know, and that sort of, and that thing is amazing. Of course.
And there's no, and, and it's not because people don't want to go out there and help to raise funds. They can't. There is, no. you know, I mean, we are, bank, we are bankrupting charities in a, in a, through no fault of anybody's because COVID has prevented so much. Um, so you've come up with, well, I mean, I got the letter from you, Griff, and yeah. I just thought, well, this is brilliant. And actually, we should be talking about this on the podcast and raising awareness of the fact that people can go and bid for these lots because you really have um, shaken down the celebrity, uh, not the money tree. It's like you've trawled through their attics and you've, you've managed to garner some really great lots. I mean, Dawn French, let's, let's just use her lots. She's been incredibly giving. She's donated her first and only posh watch, a Rolex. Amazing, 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 amazing. But this is, you know, I tell you the other thing that's really interesting. There was, I was watching a, a long time ago. I used to raise a lot of money. I used to, I've done a lot of money raising sort of jobs in my life, and I, I thought of this idea many, many years ago. Many years ago, I thought, why don't we have just a sort of celebrity jumble sale, almost permanently going? Because the thing is, that a lot of people who celebrities. This happens to all of us. We, we accumulate junk. You know, I've moved house in the middle of this lockdown, an almost unbelievable thing to do. But I've done that thing where you start rootling through the cupboards. I think a lot of people did that in lockdown anyway, didn't they? Started tidying up. Started yes, thinking, they oh, did. Get this, you know, this, these shelves sorted out. And I discovered, you know, things like I've got a script um, signed by Spike Milligan. You know, it's a lovely thing to have, but I don't know what to do with it. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, you can't, I I don't want to give things to eBay in order to make myself a little bit of money. That's just crazy. But I sort of got this idea that if we could sort of set up a network where, you know, there are some people, you know, they're like Paul McCartney. I read also, you know, the Beatles hair, where they had haircuts, you know, if you can get a, a lock of Beatles, and those people who pay thousand pounds for a bit still, a bit of the Beatles hair, you know. So I'm saying I don't have a bit, bit of the Beatles hair. <laughs> but I am saying we know people who are as beloved, who are in the most incredible, and they have extraordinary fans. And, you know, I don't know, um, nobody's giving, given us a bicycle, but Dawn's giving, given us this fantastic watch. It's a great thing to be able to buy the watch, but also to say to somebody, you know this watch I'm wearing? <laughs> this is Dawn Frenchy's yeah. watch. You know, uh, or, you know, this hat I'm wearing, this was uh, Ray Fine's hat, you know, or something like that. I think that's what people actually in this star-obsessed, you know, celebrity-obsessed world we live in would like to give an opportunity. And I know that loads of people would love to sort of keep offloading stuff. So I've, I've literally, I mean, what I've done uh, is go around and I've talked to all my friends. But what I've also tried to do is do it like, I'm sort of launching like a Ponzi scheme, you know, like a pyramid setup. Yes. You said that in place. your letter. I was like... Yeah, 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 yeah. You've got to go out. Don't just do it. Go and see if you can get somebody else to send us stuff. So I envisage, this is what I envisage. I don't know whether we can ever get away with this, but I envisage we've got a big auction coming up. But like, we, I want to be the Sotheby's of you know, of auction sites with everything going to the charity, but a constant stream, you know, when Brian May goes through his shed, you know, and sees, oh, I've got this old bicycle. Don't just put it in the dump. Send it to me and we'll put it on the site, you know, and say, look, it's Brian May's bicycle, you know, and all that. And then we can sort of gradually, we can gradually get, get together. And I hope we can get a sort of constant trickle of money into, you know, to good charities. Hmm. Don't, don't that's the idea anyway. 
Yeah, well, I think it's brilliant. And, you know, you, so David Tennant had a rifle around and he found some old Doctor Who money. So mo- not money you can spend, but if you are an avid Doctor Who fan, that's going to really mean something to you. Stick it in a frame, put it on your wall. It's much better on your wall than it is on in David Tennant's bottom drawer, isn't it? Well, a little bit, yes. I mean, David's probably quite attached to that money. Um, I don't do not because it's money, but because it's, you know, it's nice. It's got his face on it and everything like that. But it's a bit, I've also said to people, well, give us some memorabilia. So, yeah, so um, uh, we got a fabulous script of Absolutely Fabulous from uh, from Joanna. And uh, that's, they're rare, you know, the actual script that's used mm. in that performance. We've got, um, <laughs> Jonathan Price has been incredible. And he's given us a coat that he wore as uh, Perron in uh, Evita, you know, and also loads Ooh. of um, James Bond stuff, which is pretty incredible, isn't it? People have given us crew tickets. But I That's started brilliant. around. Isn't this amazing? And, Jane, I found my Access All Areas pass uh, to a Rolling Stones party from 1998. And I can't even remember the party, but what, what, <laughs> what, 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 what I'm sure there's somebody. Do you mean, what does it mean to me to have nothing? What does it mean to somebody else to get hold of an Access All Area Rolling Stones party to where that when they go to a party themselves? Incredible, isn't it? So what I'm trying to do is just find loads yeah. and loads of stuff that people might want to want to bid for and, and, and buy. And we're doing it just before Christmas. So the bidding starts on the 27th of November. And we're getting such a good response, um, uh, you know, virtually every day. I keep meaning I'd, every day I'd, I'd have to find a sort of few hours to write a lot more letters to people and say, you know, have you heard of this? Will you help us out? To, and then uh, rather, it's rather like Christmas for me because every day somebody else, you know, Ian Hislop came in yesterday and said, I've got some fabulous spitting image slippers, which we have. <laughs> 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 That's great. So... On one way or another, you go, wow, well, it is like, for me, it's fantastic. I mean, and David Schwimmer has said, oh, I'll do something, you know, and all this stuff going on. And so, well, I'm looking, I'm sort of like Santa Claus here with all these presents coming in, which I hope I'll be able to sort of find nice. <laughs> it sounds as well like it's tickling your fancy in so many ways, Griff, that you're getting a bit of a kick out of this in some, in some of the ridiculousness of it. I have to say, it's slightly hard, you know, Kate, it's slightly harder uphill work than I think. <laughs> to begin with, it's just—it's not the response. It's just the filling in all the forms and the letters and sending things off and trying to get, yeah. trying to get them going. And then you know we've had uh, and some of the best stuff. We Andy Fairweather Lowe has sent us a whole little sort of set lists of bits and pieces from his career. So there's stuff because I know that that I kept saying I kept saying to my team I said we've got to get into rock and roll, you know, because people love actors and they love comedians, but what they really want is something from Pink Floyd. Well, Nick Mason's given us some stuff, some fabulous stuff. So, you know, he's going to get... I saw. You know, and you think that's really great because I know when I look, I go to look at rock memorabilia sites and I go, God, look at that, look at the money that's got for that. Gosh, I wish I was a rock star because then you just have to... (laughs) <laughs> write out the lyrics for for a couple of songs, put them on the put them on eBay, and then you're you're making a fortune. Mm. So we'll make a fortune, I hope, which is exactly. great. Be good. Um, now, normally with a podcast uh, pre COVID, we would meet. It would be face to face. I know that you don't drink, but normally we would ask three questions. I would ask you three questions, and we would kind of wash them down with three glasses of wine. I know back I in the day that could have gone on all night with you, Griff. Well, I, I so I'll tell you what. Yes, it would have done. 
<laughs> but uh, yes, I, I haven't edited for 35 years now. But uh, when I stopped, I thought, well, this is uh, what I'll do just to sort of celebrate uh, sobriety. And all my friends will want to still drink is I'll go to a wine merchant and I'll, and I'll put in a certain amount of money every month. Do you know what I mean? Just to build up a store of wine so that when I get to the point where I've decided, well, it doesn't matter anyway, I can just sit down and start drinking it all again. <laughs> but they started ringing me up and saying, your wine's ready for drinking, you know. And I went, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> Which would be ready for me to drink when I was 80. And they said, well, they're not really any such thing. So I've got I've got some wine, which I'm putting into the auction because I've decided if there's anything which really yes. thing for me to add. It's a crate of wine sitting there just gradually getting older and older. <laughs> which I'm never going to get around to drinking anyway. So I've got some very old, very expensive, very wonderful wine from my bottom drop drawer, which is also on the in the auction site. Yes, but so we'd have had a drink. And what questions would you have asked me? Sticking with the theme of, of what you're doing at the moment in order to raise yeah. these funds, I wanted to know what was or is the best thing you've ever plucked up the courage to ask for? I'm trying to, that's a really difficult question to answer because, you know, I'm trying to think. I'm the sort of person who finds it very difficult to ask people. My goal moment was went like this, right? I'm working <laughs> to raise money for the Hackney Empire. And I, so... I used, to, I used to sit down. And, and can I just point out that you you yeah. you you pres, you preserved the Hackney Empire. You saved it well, from, we, well, we from being here no more for a yes. long thing. But the way the way those those big preservation you know charity conservation charities happen like this is you go off and you get money from the lottery fund and all that, but they need matching funds. You can't do it. You can't just go to the lottery fund and say give us the money. You've got to find matching funds. So I went to um, I went to. Alan Sugar and I said, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sir Alan, you know, it's lovely to meet you and everything like that. And I said, you know, is it, you know, would you be interested? Do you know the Hackney Empire? Because you're from it. He said, I've never been there. And I said, right. He said, but my mum and dad used to go there. Uh, I said, right. He said, oh, every Saturday, yeah. I said, right. And he said, in fact, there's a very good, uh, a very good chance I was conceived there. So I, <laughs> I said, okay. I so then I used to write him letters, you know. And just before Christmas one day, he rang me up. And I this has been going on for five years. He'd never given me any money. But at five years, he said... Never give, not, not until this point, not a penny. No, no, no. So but this is just before <laughs> Christmas. And he rings me up. He says, um, all right, Griff, uh, how much do you need? And I said, well, I've just, I've just been to a meeting, actually, Alan. And it's, we, we're, you know, we need the last... We're, we're, we've done quite well. We need, we need a million. And he said, all right, put me down for that. Happy Christmas. Wow. Isn't that incredible? So I said, that's fantastic. And I reached out the phone and I rang Roland Muldoon and I said, Roland, I said, I this is terrific. I've got you the, we've, you know, I've got two million. And Roland said, oh, Griff, he said, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, I just came out of that meeting. I was talking to Simon Thompson. When I said a million, it's actually, it's actually one, one and a quarter million. Oh, no. And I said, oh, right, right. So I am the person who had to go back to Alan Sugar and say, <laughs> and say oh, no. you know when I said a million, Alan? <laughs> 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 I, you know, 
exactly. Apparently, I mean, uh, I don't know whether you're. I mean, I'm not saying a million's not great. A million is really great. I just, is there any way that it could be, you know, like one million two hundred fifty thousand? And did he? He did. Yeah, he said, "Oh, God, yes, all right." Isn't that incredible? So it was just, uh, it was just one of those. Uh, it was one of those. That is, I think, good man. The most complicated ask that I've ever had to do, and I got it. So, but I mean, you, it makes me sad. Is I spend my all my life working for charity, and you know, I think I do these days. But that's uh, that was just that was just I remember <laughs> that was the dangerous thing I ever had to ask for. Yeah. Um, I came to I came to the to the question because I know that there was I know there was one question you asked a lot during your drinking days, and that was for your wife's hand in marriage, and she would never give you an answer. And you asked her pretty much from your first first night no, together, she, didn't no, you? She was, always, no, she was always very good. Uh, she always gave me the answer and said yes. But then what she says is that I, well, I would wake up the next morning and not mention it again. <laughs> so, so in those days, I was a very lovable drunk. You know, as you know, well, you may have met a few drunks in your time, Kate. I don't know, but men can be either sure quite, they bring out it can bring out slightly these sort of slightly testosterone type person, or it can bring out the sort of jolly yeah. person who gradually falls asleep. I was the jolly person who gradually fell asleep, uh, sort of passed out under the table, we should call it. But I and I did meet Joe, and I'd met her before. This is what she always tells me, and I met her before, but I don't remember meeting her before. <laughs> Love at first sight, love at second sight. Anyway, I meet her and we go to a party in a producer called John Lloyd, who made every great comedy programme in the history of comedy programmes. But John was a producer mm. of Not The Night Clock News. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm taking out the girls who are working on the Not The Night Clock News book tonight. So I said, oh, right. And uh, we were both uh, unattached at the time. So we went round to John's house and sat there. And, we, and, um, and Joe and I... Sort of sat in the uh, in the basement, and I told her then. Actually, I don't know how much I drunk that night. That I that she was the loveliest girl I ever met. I had to marry her. <laughs> 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 what's great? I love is that. that she, well, I know, but what's great? Because she drove. I'd never met a girl who had a car before. It was terrific. And I, I, you can imagine, <laughs> I was again. She got me in the car and drove me home, and I thought, this is great. Isn't this fantastic? Um, and so, uh, and of course. And then uh, I was sober in the morning, slightly embarrassed by it. But anyway, we carried on seeing each other for a year. And every few weeks, I'd, we, you know, there'd be another, there'd be another party or something. I'd propose again and then forget about it. And then a year later, we'd get married. And here we are. Unbelievably, unbelievably, really, you know, like that's most people, even my children would say, core. Um, we're sort of still married, um, you know, 40 years later. Well, you're not even sort of still married. You are still married. Yeah, we're still married 40 years later. <laughs> yes, <laughs> That's amazing. I don't mean sort of. I mean, I mean, we are, yes, completely still married. Uh, but, well, both questions, the million pound ask, which turned out to be a bigger ask than even a million, and Joe's hand in marriage, both worked out pretty well for you, Griff. Oh, yes, I was quite, um, yeah. I'm not, I should ask more than I do, really, shouldn't I? Yeah, you should.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So I wanted to give you a hypothetical scenario. I wanted to ask you if you had an opportunity to pose one question to three people, which three people would you go to and what would your ask be of them? What would your question be? What would my question be of my, uh, my uh, top three people? Well, um, I think it's really, it's really, uh, it's really, I don't know about you, Kate, but one of the weirdest things is I'd, I'd be wary of meeting my heroes because I have met a number of my heroes, you know, and sometimes the really great people, the people, you know, there are lots of people in this business, but meeting Peter Cook, for example, you know, um, I always, I was always rather tongue tied around sort of the idea of this is Peter. Yeah. 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 But one time I was standing, I was in a show, um, uh, sort of Princess Trust, I think it was either Princess Trust or or one of those early secret policemen's balls. And Phil Collins was on stage, banging away at the old piano, and I'm standing in the wings at the Palladium, watching him. Nobody else there. Nobody. What I mean by all the other artists are in their dressing room, but I was watching him. And coming up, standing by my shoulder, looking over my shoulder, was Eric Clapton. Slow hands. Well, exactly. And you know, at that moment. Uh, what I really wanted to do was go and ring my friend, Adam Henneke Gottley, from the soup form and say, uh, Eric, would you mind very much just saying to Adam Henneke Gottley that you're with Griff at the moment? <laughs> Watching Phil Collins, you know, from the wings. Just because it was such an unlikely thing. If you imagine when you're in the sick form and Eric Clapton was God and suddenly here you are, 
But all that happened was I was looking at Phil Collins. He, Eric Clapton turned around, looked at me, and he gave me a very sweet nod. Do you know what I mean? Just a nod of encouragement, you know. Yeah. But it may have been because I was sort of gazing at him because he was he must be very used, Eric Clapton, I should imagine, to people sort of going, oh, I like meeting the Queen, you know? Just un- overcome with the emotion of the idea of this is finally, is this real? Is this for real? And so, yes, that's one question I would have liked to ask Eric Clapton. So otherwise, it's difficult to think who I would really like to see I'd get some answers to. But I tell you, I was in Wales and we went off to a place called Pentriffin, right? And Pentriffin is a, uh, a thing that was built 5,000 years ago. It's a burial mound. And all that's standing, there's some sort of capstones and some big stones. And it's like the Welsh Stonehenge. And every time somebody comes to, to uh, visit me, I say, oh, we must go and, you know, let's go off and look at this place. So we went off and stood there and looked there. What I'd really like to do, almost more than anything, is be able to speak to the man who built that, you know, thing and say, what, what was you, what was, what, what was it for? <laughs> what was, what was the big plan here? What was, what was the vision? <laughs> yeah, what was you? I need I need some explanation here, you know, because everybody comes here and just speculates about this place, and they all start thinking, "What was it over here?" You know, what did they do? Who built it? How did they build it? Did it take them forever? You know, who suggested that they built it, and all that sort of stuff. And a bit like Stonehenge, the world Stonehenge, I think we need that. It would be so joyous to be able to go back and uh, come back from from that sort of prehistoric area and be able to say. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Now we know the answers. Because like certain mysteries of that kind are so deep and so incredible. And the, and the things that you're looking at as a result of what, the, of what these people did are so amazing still. And uh, we were saying, you know, that poem, uh, there's a poem by Shelley about two vast trunkless legs of stone, you know, Ozymandias, king of kings sort of thing, you know, look at you now, you're just useless, you're just nothing but just a couple of old bits of statue. And you have to say, yeah, but, you know, that's better than most people. <laughs> that's yeah. not bad. You know, it's all very well to say you're just a couple of legs of stone, but actually when you come to think of it, here we are 5,000 years later looking at those legs of stone. Everybody else who lived around that time hasn't left anything at all. So perhaps it wasn't so bad being not King of quite. Kings. Monuments and, and things. So there's a little bit of that that I would like. To, that's a question I would like to ask as well of somebody, whoever he was, that particular um, Aussie Andius in Wales, you know. Yeah. But we went for a walk along Offa's Dyke before lockdown. We're walking along. I'm just I spend my life doing doing things which, you know, really anyway, I shouldn't be doing. But so we went for a walk along Offa's Dyke. We're walking along Offa's Dyke. And the funny thing is archaeologists say they're very sweet now. They say, um, it was, you know, I know it faces Wales and it goes round trees, you know, to make sure and obstructions in the landscape to make sure the wall is on the Welsh side and all that. But there is no evidence. No evidence of any kind that King Offa built this wall to keep the Welsh out. That's mere speculation. And you go, yeah, but I mean, it's pretty good speculation. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. It's pretty <laughs> obvious. I mean, to be honest, I mean, if you, have you got a better, what on earth did he do it for if not that? 
Because I mean, even with a wheelbarrow working on your own, trying to build off a stike, it would seriously take you the best part of a year to add a tiny bit, let alone take any of it away. So clearly, he had uh, a lot of help to build his wall, King Offa, in the 7th or 8th century or something like that, um, and, and to not know what he was about or how he did it or what was the organisation that enabled him to do that is absolutely incredible because there's no doubt that that Offa's dike, big as it is, uh, is a lot bigger than the Great Pyramid. You know, it just, if you put all the bits of earth in it together, you, you're, you're looking at something absolutely enormous. It's one of the greatest mysteries of Britain. And there are a lot of them. But, and the thing that's fascinating about them is, of course, we can ask questions of anybody. You know, we could ask, you know, Elvis, you know, you know, did you enjoy, you know, um, uh, playing uh, uh, Vegas or whatever? We could ask any questions or, you know, or but we can't. This is one that we'd never we'll never get the answer to. So it, it's a question that remains one that one ought to ask. So that's that's and you're, that, that's two great questions. One to Eric Clapton. One that will unlock historical treasures by way of answers. And your third Good. question? Well, my, I think my third question would be to Boris Johnson, actually. And I'd like, <laughs> to, ask, I'd like to ask him, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I just yeah. do not understand what you're doing at the moment. I just don't understand that, you know, I was one of the people, I remember in Australia, and I'm sitting there, and there are a lot of Australians and some English people, you know, they were talking about Boris Johnson. And uh, somebody said, uh, oh, well, Boris, he's just, we can't, you couldn't elect him in English, just a buffoon. And I said, no, 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 he's a funny man. You know, he just, we shouldn't assume that just because people are funny, they're, you know, and uh, and I've got a, you know, they're useless and everything like that. And so I was sort of quite prepared to be a sort of, you know, supporter of Boris Johnson. But I'm afraid I don't find that anymore. I can't understand why. I understand he's got a difficult position. There's not no doubt about that. But I think I think they're not handling it in a way which is making it clear to the population. And I understand his problems, but I just need, I just need, I'd like to ask him if he's just, if he'd just clarify what his sort of vision of himself is now as a sort of leader and where we're going to how we're going to solve the problems that we've got ourselves into. I found a quote from you about um, the friends that you made at Cambridge and the impact that they had on you. And you said, you said, I met a rather excitable set of people there. And effectively, my whole life has been determined by the people I knew there and the things that we do. And I thought that was that was kind of extraordinary in as much as that, that there was that moment in time in your life where you collided with these people and they have gone on to colour and inform all of the things that you do. So I wondered what it is that you look for in a friend now versus back then and what are the qualities and the values that that you seek in friendship well you know the funny thing about friends is that um we do along the way have quite a few friends you know martin amos said you can make um i wish i could remember what martin amos said now he said 
friends. <laughs> <laughs> But you can't make old friends. You can't, I mean, uh, old friends in a funny sort of way know details about your life uh, that you uh, that you you shared an experience in a funny way. You only have to see them. I was sitting in a car with my old mate Clive Anderson yesterday. Well, going back, we'd been for a walk together because another very old friend um, died uh, a few weeks ago and we were having sort of a celebratory walk to just in his memory, because he liked to walk. It's a sense in which, you know, as you as we went around, that you have comfort. You have a comfort zone, don't you, with old friends? Because the one thing about old friends is you don't necessarily have to talk if you don't want to. If you're with a new friend, there's a sense that you you know you're needing to sustain your friendship. Whereas if you sit with an old friend, you can uh, even uh, uh, Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse spend time where you don't actually say anything at all. That's one of the comforts. Isn't that lovely as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's true. And so the truth is that uh, in case anybody – I mean, I imagine people might be sitting thinking about, oh, I see what this was. This was just a sort of general old-school tie network keeping up. The truth is that some of my friends saw what I was doing and I saw what other people were doing and thought – well, if that bastard can do that, I'll do it as well. And there was a sort of element of, <laughs> you know, if you watch your friends and you've all gone through similar things and you think, well, if they can do it, I'll, I'll look out, I'll do it as well. Jimmy Mulville, who was a very close friend of mine at, at university and for a long time afterwards, you know, he we uh, went off and uh, and set up a, 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 a company and he set one up as well. And then, and then another mate of mine set up a company, a production company. And so it all... You know, we, we followed pretty similar tracks along the thing. But I tell you what I do think is really important about old friends is and it comes out, doesn't it? Well not just old friends, but about many new friends that I have as well. It's just if you it's it's having similar interests, isn't it, really? That you, you find the same sort of things interesting and you have the same sort of freedoms that you can talk about. And you know that if you go to do um, something, you might disagree entirely about the film, but you still want to go to the film. That is the sort of film that you will go to together, you know, and that's really good, isn't it? It's not just interest, though, is it? It's values. It's those shared values. Yeah. 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 But um, recently, one of the things that I missed during lockdown is going away on a sort of like a, a few days. And something we didn't do very much, but when you had kids, do you mean when you had kids, holidays, you did have shared uh, holidays with other people, but they were always like to... I don't know, it's like being in a garage forecourt, isn't it? People are coming in all the time and going out. <laughs> and there's never any, never any sort of, they never really settled down. And the exhausted mums lie by the pool, you know, while dads are told to go do something about the kids. And then somebody says, we're just going down to the, we're going down into Siena or something like that. Somebody says, wait, wait, we're going to come too. And you don't leave for another three hours. Those sort of things that go on, you know, when you're, when you're all much together. And then suddenly, yeah. Day, there's a sort of extraordinary liberation that happens when the kids all grow up and leave home. And it's an awful thing to say because I love my kids and I still love going on holiday and doing everything with them, anything they want to do. They don't want to do it as much with me as they used to. That's fine. That's fine. Because now um, uh, I think about two or three years ago, an old mate, Peter Wilson, it wasn't Mike, Mike, but I've, I've known him for years. He was a producer, Charlie's aunt, and things like that. And he was, we were at uh, you know, university at different times. Um, anyway, he and I uh, and uh, uh, his, his partner and, and Joe, and we went on a little trip 
um, up through Northern Ireland, like like we like old people, and we visited just off the water <laughs> a series of extraordinary Italian gardens, and it was just the beginning of the season. Nobody nobody else there. June. We went to the uh, uh, Villa Farnese, which is sort of north in Lazio, and, you know, and then we went and there's another. Uh, uh, the Villa d'Este, and we suddenly found ourselves on a sort of mm. on a on a mission to go and see all these places, and they are amazing. And it was almost a perfect holiday because we'd had something to do on the holiday, not just lie on a beach, but go and see things and talk about them when we went to see them and admire them, you know, and a sort of purpose. And that that was perfect. And you could do that, and you knew that these were friends that you close friends that you could do it with because. But um, that, that's you know that's that you found that you could do it together. That's all. You had the same interests and same judgment, same critical sort of thoughts about it. You know, and that's that's what that's just unfortunately what friendship is. So some people you could have gone who would have sat there going, "What on earth are we doing here?" <laughs> but that that wasn't the case. Do you continue to make new friends, or is it a case of just holding on to the ones that you've got? No, no, I really do. In fact, I I um. I love new friends. I remember um, because whenever I'm in a play, um, and I am in plays, not not as much as I'd like to be, because they just tend, they tend to run quite a long time when I do them. Stop me doing anything else. But uh, that, so I was in a play. Uh, I remember I was Richard Briers, <laughs> and Richard Briers said to me, he said uh, uh, he and I we spend a lot of time talking. It's just like it is new best friends happen all the time, you know. And you go, this is terrific. Mm-hmm. I really hit it off, and and uh, we invited him out, out. We went out for dinner a couple of times, and he came out. And, and he said, um, he said, well, Griff, you know, I've I've got a lot of old friends, but you know, they're very boring and predictable. My old friends. <laughs> 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 and what I loved about that was the fact that, of course, that's absolutely true as well, that, that old friends can be very boring <laughs> yes. and predictable, and new friends can be very exciting because it's like, so Richard and I were their best pals, but a bit like going on holiday when you're in a play. Sometimes you have the greatest fun with somebody in a play or on a film or something like that, and then, you need, and then it's not the same once the film's finished or the play is finished, you know. It's like mm. you come home it's and, it's not, and it's all, you know, you know the holiday friend that you've made and you think, when you get home, I wonder if we'll ever yeah. see you. Never do. And it's plays are exactly like that. But I was in, uh, uh, I went off uh, to explore Pentriffin with my uh, friend Jason uh, Morell, and he was uh, a mate that just out of nowhere, I never met Jason before, but funnily enough, he knew people that I knew. But Jason, um, uh, he, uh, uh, he, he was in uh, um, Oliver. And so, you know, you always need, when you're in a play, especially if you're in a play where you're not, you know, there's a lot of waiting around in a play. You know, there's a lot of dressing rooms. You do need somebody's dressing room that you can go to and sit and just sort of chitter-chatter. And, <laughs> and I've had some great, great, great friends as well. Hugh Lloyd. I was in Thark with Hugh Lloyd at Dinsdale Landon. And Dinsdale Landon and Hugh became just the most terrific friends. Because I suppose it's also true that you do go through an extraordinary experience together like that. And that's what helps to make friends. You know, you have to, friends are really made when you're going, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. What are we mm. doing? Yeah. What are we doing? We're not ready to do this. It's you kind know. of like speed dating. Yeah. You, make you just go into something quite intense together, don't you? Yes. 
and you're both and you're all in there together. So films and uh, I have to say my new best friend, everybody knows uh, Nigel Havers is my new best friend because we were in uh, Blackpool Express together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just we just spent the whole time. Uh, It's so funny because Nigel is just a very, very funny bloke. But his interests and sort of, you know, we sort of we hit it off. That's all. And it was just great. And so I love the idea. I'd be going off to do something. Um, David Bradley was in uh, when I was in the Grinch, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. You know that it's just these things come along. You know, David. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's just fantastic uh, that you do these shows and you end up with a with a with a new not everybody but a new best friend. You know, I love it. Yeah, you collect as you go. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And long may that last, Griff. Well, I hope so. Because yes. if you don't keep making new friends, who are you going to ask to rifle through their bottom drawers for you? Well, exactly. Exactly. I've got to I've got to ring up the ring up the I've certainly rung up uh, uh Nigel and he's given me um, a tennis racket which his great uncle took to Wimbledon in nineteen sixteen. That's pretty good, isn't it? No. Yes. That's really I'm good. Was in the last you're getting some great stuff you know oh i think so yeah we just now need to bro- we don't want to get it all cl- i know from bitter experience when i did the first my first charity auction was in a little gallery called the business art gallery and they invited me around it was, it was the first comic relief and they'd done a special a special art uh auction connected with comic relief and they wanted me to be the auctioneer and i said of course i, I only had to do the first 10 items thank god because i looked out and the only people they got, they got a fantastic collection of pictures, really good. But the only people in the audience were the artists who painted the pictures. <laughs> they, so as you can imagine, you come back, you put the first picture up and you could see sitting in the front row, the very nervous artist. And you could see all the other artists looking at it, going, hmm. But they they were artists. They didn't want to buy other picture other people's pictures. I mean they do artists, but very but you know, I mean, why would they start to buy other gallery they can get them? So the great truth of any auction that you do is you've got to get a lot of people with a lot of money who want to buy these things. Otherwise you're just you're barking up the wrong tree. I have done with the first uh event we had for it was a great, I thought it was a brilliant idea. I'm always having good ideas, you see. They've got to turn them into money. But this was to have businessmen's bingo because uh, there were a lot of business bonus bingo called. And the idea was that we'd get all the city people in because they just got their bonus and we'd have a game of bingo in the in the Hackney Empire. And we had all fantastic comedians, Hugh Laurie and, and uh, 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 Eddie Izzard and people coming up to keep them amused and do the bingo bingo calling we had the most incredible presents whole holidays and uh, um, golf club sets of golf clubs and stuff like that which you could win and we looked out in the audience and they'd only brought one set of businessmen from from uh from from uh, uh, one bank and so there were about 20 people out there winning all this stuff and we didn't really make the money that we wanted so it's really important i've had to do a few i've had to be a few times and you have to identify in the room very quickly where's the money sitting and um how much are they drinking and that's always a recipe for success and then you just have to zone in on those tables and bid them against one another whilst making yes. sure that the waiters keep the wine coming 
And I always, I always start all charity auctions I do by saying, look, I need the husbands and wives to now separate, if that's all right. Just go, just get away from each other. <laughs> Otherwise, what happens is, is the husband says, starts bidding, and the wife goes, no, 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 don't, no, don't, no, don't. And anyway, I want you to bid against each other. There's nothing better. The funniest auction we ever did. I don't know if you were there. I don't know if you were there. But the funniest auction we ever did. Mel and I were invited to do it for a charity. And I can't remember. Um, I can't remember. It was, uh, there was a lot of, uh, lot of rock and roll sort of uh, aristocracy there, Ronnie Wood and people like that. Anyway, we were, we were asked to do the auction. We, we got up. And uh, there were quite a lot of nice lots. And uh, uh, Mel said, you know, this lovely guitar donated by Paul McCartney. And Pam, Mel's wife, who drunk quite a lot, I sitting know, in the row. Remember Pam? <laughs> she suddenly went, £1,000. Yes, I And Mel said, OK, that's great. £2,000. Yes, all right, darling. Yes, you've already bid. You're bidding against us. <laughs> Oh, with the best of luck with the auction. And people can go, you've, you've set up a site where all of the lots are up there now. It's called celebritybottomdraw.godaddysites.com. And everything is there. You can see what you're bidding for. It's going to go live soon, isn't it? It is, yeah, because the, the auction happens on the 20, starts on the 27th, but it's on for a week. So you can bid, you can keep yeah. bidding and everything like that. But it, it's everything launches virtually from now on. Absolutely. Oh, best of luck with it. And thank you for for a truly entertaining hour as always in your company and um, I'm going to go and have a, I'm going to I'm going to do my Ponzi I've, I've got a few friends that I can I can hit up for you Griff so consider it done thank you thank you thanks Griff loads of love bye bye that's it from us for this week thank you so much for listening don't forget if you do have the time or the inclination we would love for you to rate and review us it truly does help other people to discover the podcast uh, as always this show is produced by me kate thornton with richard hatherall for yahoo uk editing is by callum goddard mocklow and music is provided by andy bell we'll be back next week until then please stay safe and try to do as we do and always drink responsibly Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.